Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom. As always, as we get closer to the end of spring football, the, the basketball season is now complete. But coming off of a very newsworthy week in Ohio State sports, both on the football and men's basketball front. So a lot to talk about there. A bunch of guys Entering the transfer portal, Ohio State landing a big transfer from the basketball front. So a lot to talk about this hour-long show, but want to start out by talking about what we saw on Saturday at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center when Ohio State opened its doors to uh, students and media alike to watch the Buckeyes Student Appreciation Day practice. And this was a rare treat because typically when Ohio State allows us in to watch practice. It's typically a few periods of a start of practice. They're doing individual drills. And then before they really start the good stuff, which is the team drills, the seven on seven drills, they kick us out. So we don't really get to usually see a whole lot of, okay, who's really standing out in practice? Who's running with the first team? All the good stuff that you guys usually ask us about and that we want to be able to answer for you. But on Saturday, during the Student Appreciation Day, we did get to see all of that. We got to watch uh, about an hour of practice, and it was the good stuff. It was the team drills, the seven-on-seven drills, an opportunity to actually watch the offense go head-to-head with the defense, to get to watch the quarterbacks throw the ball, to get to watch you know the wide receivers go against the corners and the offensive line go against the defensive line, and an opportunity for us really to evaluate the Buckeyes playing real football for the first time this year. So I feel like I learned a lot about the Ohio State football team on Saturday, and I feel like I have a better grasp with the caveat that it, it was just one hour of practice, and just because somebody stood out in that one hour of practice doesn't mean they're standing out in every spring practice. But nevertheless, I, I feel like I was able to take a lot away from actually watching that that makes me feel more informed about the Ohio state football team in 2022 than I was before. Oh, absolutely. And if only we had more opportunities like that to actually sit and watch, you know, Ohio state go live head to head 11 on 11. We got to see seven on seven, you know, a, a lot of it was kind of thud tackling, but, but some of it was actually, you know, live, you know, r- running the ball up the middle and stuff like that. And the fact that we weren't, you know, relegated to the sidelines, we could actually go up and stand right, you know, behind the huddle and and kind of see CJ Stroud's point of view and Ryan Day's vantage point as they break down what's going on there. It was my first time ever going to anything like that. Actually, they hadn't done one since 2019, I believe. And at that time I was just dipping my toe in. So, so it was, uh, it was really fun. And there with all the students as well, Uh, we recorded a lot of footage from it as well, like 21 minutes or so, 25 minutes, maybe we threw up on YouTube, a lot of Highlight plays in there if, if you want to go check that out if you haven't seen it. So, some really good, nice catches from, from the likes of Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka. Those were some of the highlights of the day. But it was also, you know, fun, good to, to see some actual line play because that's something we don't necessarily see a lot in these practice windows when the teams aren't go- actually going live is, you know, how the defensive line looks, how the offensive line looks. And, you know, all of that was just part of a, a smorgasbord of, of a football a knowledge and insight we got on the team in that Saturday open practice. What was the biggest thing that stood out to you on Saturday? Well, yeah, I think honestly, the, the defensive line was just extremely disruptive during, I, I think, a lot of the 11 on 11 stuff. And that's something that we had heard already from Jim Knowles saying that was like his biggest standout feature of the defense when, when evaluating, you know, Ohio State so far in spring practice, you know, guys like Jack Sawyer and, and JT, you know, getting after it, even in one-on-one drills, I thought those guys, especially JT was really standing out to me. Obviously the, just the straight up talent of some of those skill guys, of course, is hard. It's hard to look beyond some of the throws that CJ Stroud makes or some of the, the routes or catches that a Marvin Harrison runs. But I think honestly, and also because I'm, I'm writing about it right now, as we speak too, the defensive line play was, was impressive to see for Ohio State. And I know that's a big thing that they want to be a strength of the defense, of course, because of course, last time, last year at times, it was not. Yeah, I think the thing that really stood out to me was just seeing how much talent there is in the quarterback room right now, because watching all three of those guys throw the ball on Saturday, they were all impressive. I mean, CJ, we've had the opportunity to watch CJ throw twice now in extended periods of the spring, because he also threw at Ohio State's pro day. 
And on both times we've gotten to see him throw so far this spring, he looks the way that you expect a returning starting quarterback who's a Heisman front runner to look. He just seems to be in complete control of what he's doing right now. He seems to have a great rapport with Ohio State's receivers. And, you know, certainly, you know, is throwing the ball with a lot of accuracy, you know, showing the ability to throw the ball all over the field. And so he looks exactly the way you expect him to look. And, and it just seems like his trajectory just continues to go upward. But then also watching Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, I was very impressed by both of them too. I think especially Devin Brown, because this was our first opportunity to watch Devin Brown throw in person. I had never seen him throw in person before. Garrick did at the All-American Bowl, but I had never seen him throw in an actual football setting in person before Saturday. And so I was certainly impressed by what I saw from him. Some of the throws he was making, you can just see the natural arm talent there. Looked like a freshman at times. There was one sequence where within a span of three plays, he fumbled two snaps and Ryan Day took him out and put Kyle McCord in after that happened. But those things are going to happen. But just to see the way that he can throw the ball, to see the the arm strength and the ball placement on some of his throws, that's really promising for when you project ahead to next year. At this time next year, the story we're all going to be talking about is Kyle McCord versus Devin Brown and who's going to be that next starting quarterback. And just watching both of them on Saturday, I came away thinking – yeah, C.J. Stroud's probably going to be in the NFL next year, but I think Ohio State's still going to be in good hands at the quarterback position because I think either one of those guys has the potential to be Ohio State's next elite quarterback. And, you know, I think McCord, you know, he, he looked really sharp on Saturday. You know, he's a guy that I, I expect to, you know, be better this year than he was last year now that he has a year of experience under his belt. But I also look at Devin Brown and I say – I think that guy's going to have a chance next year. I think he's going to make a real run at that starting job next year because uh, he's clearly got uh, some great arm talent. And so that was the biggest thing that stood out to me is just Ohio State's quarterback room. The present is very bright and the future is bright too. Oh yeah. And I think encouraging sign from Brown as well, that he had that sequence, like you just mentioned with the, the couple of uh, fumbled snaps and came back and actually made some of his, his nicest plays after that. And, you know, stay, comp- stay composed after getting a little bit of a chewing out by Ryan day. Also, like you talked about with the arm talent, a couple of times he got, he was flushed out of the pocket and, you know, making some of those, those, those sidearm throws that people, you know, love to talk about with the likes of Patrick Mahomes and things like that. We got to see a little bit of that out of Devin Brown as well. Kyle McCord as well. I think I thought, I just thought it was interesting. Like we, we don't get to see this type of thing, you know, because we don't get this type of access to practice, but just the fact that we get to see like a Ryan day chewing out a Devin Brown or a Kyle McCord. I was watching a play earlier when I was looking back at the footage where he, he missed a wide open mine Williams underneath with room to run. And Ryan day was right on him about that McCord that is. And so just getting to see some of those, you know, interactions after some of the live plays is something we don't usually get to see. But then what about the, the wide receivers as well? Because I'm sure, you know, in tandem with the quarterback talent, we got to see, you know, it goes, you know, hand in hand with the fact that the guys that that, that Stroud, McCord, and Brown are throwing to out there are, are pretty special as well. Yeah, I wrote a piece for the website on Monday about players that I thought stood out during the Student Appreciation Day. I had 10 standouts and four of them were wide receivers. And honestly, I could have done five because – I mean, the, the, the first one is Jackson Smith and Jigba. Jackson Smith and Jigba, again, it's like CJ Stroud. What does he have to prove this spring? Nothing. But you still can't help but watch him when you're out there because, man, he's just impressive. I mean, he, he was dominating out there. I mean, he, was, he, he just seemed like he was consistently getting open. Even when Ohio State's DBs were in position to make plays, he was still making plays. So, I mean, he just stands out. I mean, you just watch him. It's hard not to watch him because he's so talented. We saw it on the field last year. You know, watching Saturday, I came away with nothing but the impression of, yeah, JSN is going to continue to be CJ Stroud's number one target this year because he looks fantastic out there. You know, still, you know, one, one thing I was interested to see was would he continue to be running mostly out of the slot? And he was. And so, you know, we saw last year where they moved Garrett Wilson from the slot to outside. It doesn't seem like that's the plan of Jackson. Now we are going to see him play outside at times because 
when they have a heavier package on the field, if they have two tight ends out there and only two receivers, they'll move Jackson outside in those situations. But it does seem like they're still going to use Jackson mostly out of a slot this year, which to me is the right move because if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. And I think, honestly, if there was one player that probably caught my eye more so than any other player in the whole thing, it was probably Marvin Harrison Jr. Because every time I was looking up and seeing a a wideout make a, a really good catch, it was usually Marvin Harrison. And there was, you know, a lot of competition in that uh, category as well, but he had one really nice one, you know, right down the field, a uh, CJ Stroud hit him with a deep ball. He really burned a JK Johnson on that one. I've seen a lot of people being like, man, <laughs> 32 got burned on that one. But I mean, when you're going up against Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, that's kind of hard to avoid probably at, at some time at some points, but uh, made a really nice catch right in front of Gene Smith and Joey Galloway. He had another really nice catch uh, on the sideline, I think it's seven on seven. And when they were doing red zone drills later on, he made a really nice a touchdown grab in the corner of the end zone as well. Uh, Emeka Ibuka as well. I think he had a one-handed catch that was really nice. I didn't get to, to get that one on tape there, unfortunately, but that clip has been making the rounds as well. In longtime listeners of the show know that I have been buying stock in Marvin Harrison Jr. since pretty much when he arrived on campus. And yeah, you just keep buying stock. The stock price keep going up there because, you know, we saw how well he played in the Rose Bowl and yeah, watching him on Saturday. I mean, again, another guy who's out there. He just keeps making plays. I mean, he's just a guy who just seems to just have a natural feel for how to get open and make plays at that wide receiver position, much like his dad once did. And so, yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. continued to buy stock very highly in him. I mean, I think he's locked down a starting job, which says a lot with the amount of talent that's in that room. But, you know, it's, it, I mean, he was taken consistent first team reps, even over a Mecca Buka and Julian Fleming who were splitting first team reps. Marvin was out there every time I looked taking first team reps, which just tells you how highly they think of him right now, how quickly he has positioned himself to be a major player on the offense. And so Marvin, I thought looked great on Saturday. He was in my list of players. And so was a Mecca Buka. Like you said, I, I am buying stock in a Mecca Buka as well, because it just seems like every time we see him get an opportunity, he does something that makes you go, wow. You know, he just, he always seems to flash and just show that upside. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what Ohio state does in terms of a receiver lineup. You know, does Julian Fleming hold down that third starting spot or, or can a Mecca ultimately seize it away from him. I mean, I think, as I've said before, regardless, I think, you know, all four of those guys are going to play a lot, but every time I watch a Mecca, just more and more, I come away with this guy is going to be hard to keep off the field. And he's another guy like Jackson. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. I think he's a guy who's probably natural fit for the slot, but my guess is we see him probably play most of his snaps outside this year, just because Jackson's in the slot. I don't think it really matters. I think he's another guy that wherever you line him up, he's going to be able to make plays. And we saw that again on Saturday. A couple other receivers who caught my eye. Keon Grace, the true freshman. You know, I have said before that he's a guy that if I was going to bet on any of these true freshmen to come in and earn a role in the rotation this year, I have said I thought that guy would be Grace. And that has not changed after watching Saturday's practice. We saw him make a couple of really nice plays. He had one touchdown catch on what to me was the best throw of a day from Devin Brown, just a perfectly placed ball on a fade to the end zone for a 30 yard touchdown. He also, Gray's also had a really nice sideline grab on a throw from CJ Stroud in seven on seven. And so he's a guy, they're so loaded at receiver that I think it's going to be hard for any freshman to make a major impact right away. But I think, you know, you, you think of Chris Olave a few years ago, how his role progressed over the course of his freshman year. You think of Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka, how you know they kind of got their opportunities late in the year. I wouldn't be surprised to see Keon Grays follow a similar trajectory in terms of late in the year. You know, could he be a guy that starts to get more and more playing time and starts to make a bigger impact? I think he's a guy that, you know, comes in with the polish to where I think he has that chance, but there's a lot of competition on that wide receiver depth chart. You know, Jaden Ballard, I didn't really notice him a ton on Saturday, but you know, he is a guy that's gotten a lot of hype this spring. And then 
The other guy who I didn't include in my article, but who also really impressed me on Saturday was Xavier Johnson. Xavier Johnson's a walk-on, but he made a couple of great plays. He had one a really nice one-handed catch. He also caught a touchdown pass uh, on a really nice throw from Kyle McCord. And so I'm not going to really predict that Xavier Johnson's going to play a big role at receiver this year because of all the scholarship talent they have the position. But watching him, don't count him out. Like, I mean, he was a guy who turned down scholarships to play at Ohio State. He's played a ton on special teams the last couple of years. And he looked like he belonged out there with some of the plays he was making on Saturday. And on defense, Dan, the four guys that made your list, Sawyer, JT, Mitchell Melton, Caden Curry, all guys playing on that defensive line. But three of those guys are, you know, in the mix there at that jack position. And that was another very interesting insight we got into practice was seeing how they implemented that package and how they're working with it in practice. So, so in seven, seven on seven, for example, they had Sawyer doing some work there with that jack position on that side of the field while JT and the other defensive linemen were going, you know, head to head one-on-one with the, the ones on the offensive line there, but then Sawyer switched back eventually came over and still repped some of the, the pass rushing at one-on-one drills. Mitchell Melton as well is, you know, as obviously we've, about him this offseason and, and I don't know if we really expected to be hearing as much about him this spring as we have but Jim Knowles seems to really like him in that Jack slash Leo role Caden Curry as well and, and I already mentioned you know JT really stood out to me in terms of uh, he was really burning Paris Johnson and, and Dewan Jones and some of those one-on-ones even during the the 11 on 11 there was a couple of reps where he you know really was was slicing through guys in terms of the, the pass rush and so, yeah, all those guys uh, stood out to me as well, Dan. Any other observations you had or takeaways from the performances you saw from any of those guys? Yeah, I mean, I was really, I'd say nine days ago before, you know, the long 90-minute press conference we had with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles and Kevin Wilson two Tuesdays ago, I, I was ready to sell on the jack position. Like, they were talking about they hadn't installed it yet, and they are talking about playing a lot of, you know, four down base defense. And I was, I'm not sure if this Jack position is really uh, going to be this big thing that uh, they're, they're talking about. I was starting to think that it was, you know, this year's edition of the bullet of the position we talked about all off season that wasn't going to come to fruition. But after watching Saturday's practice, I now believe it's going to be a major part of his defense because they were using it a lot. They were, it was, they were using that a lot in both, you know, seven on sevens, 11 on 11s. And not just the fact that they were using it, but the fact that the guys that were playing that role sure seemed to make a lot of plays. I mean, Jack Sawyer looked really good out there. I mean, Mitchell Melton's a guy. I mean, that's a guy. I wasn't sure whether to believe the hype on him a week or two ago. Now I'm starting to buy it. I mean, watching him out there on Saturday, he, he was making some plays. You know, he looks like a guy who could be kind of a natural fit for that Jack position. I still think there's, you know, a ton of competition for playing time there on the edge between, you know, Sawyer and Tuomolowau and Harrison and Gene Baptiste and Friday. I don't know how you're necessarily going to, you know, rotate all these guys and get all these guys in the mix, but, you know, Mitchell Melton seems to be a guy that's making a real push there. And then, you know, Caden Curry as well. Again, I mean, it's, I don't know how many snaps are going to be available for a true freshman in that edge rotation, but, he was making some plays. He had a couple of sacks during that practice. So he looked like a guy like, okay, he, he might be a guy who could, you know, make an immediate impact as well. And so I, I was definitely very impressed by what we saw from the defensive line on Saturday. You know, they've got a lot of options at that defensive end position. I think, you know, the tackles were very disruptive as well. Now the other side of that goes back to, you know, should we be concerned about the offensive line? And I think, you know, the, the way I see it right now and the way it certainly feels like Ryan Day sees it right now is, you know, I don't know if there's any reason to be concerned about the starting offensive line. I, I think the starting offensive line, I mean, you're going up against such a talented defensive line, like you're going to lose some reps in practice. But I, I think that starting offensive line I am confident that it will be a very good offensive line I I think the depth there is an issue though I mean we've talked about that before but it could be an issue and I think it is an issue because I just I think right now there's a major question of if one of those top five guys goes down who's the next man up 
you know, and so some of that is because there's certain guys that are hurt this spring. Like I think most likely the sixth man on the line is going to be Josh Fryer, but he's out all spring. And so you don't have him out there. That hurts, you know, Enoch Vamah, he's a guy that I think is certainly in the mix to potentially be that sixth or seventh guy. But, you know, we were out there Saturday. I mean, there are some other guys like Zen Mahalski who's been talked about. I didn't see him out there taking reps. Ben Christman, I didn't see him out there take taking reps and team drills. And so they've got some guys banged up there right now on the offensive line, which is not ideal because they really do need to develop depth there. And obviously your hope, the ideal scenario is that those starting five are healthy all year. And I do think those starting five are a very solid starting five right now. But I think if you have an injury right now, I, I think that's where Ohio State's coaching staff would be a little bit concerned about whether the next man up is going to be where they need him to be. Yeah, the, the opposite side of that is that, you know, it's still the spring and there's plenty of time still before that the actual season starts for some guys to get healthy and develop there a little bit. But Dan, back on the topic of just, you know, some guys that, that stood out a little bit, maybe some guys highlight some guys that weren't on your 10 player list there. You know, it, it's hard. Not everyone's going to going to stand out consistently necessarily throughout a practice like that with everybody rotating in and out. But I did highlight a few uh, plays when I went back and watched some of the tape. Chip Batranum continues to earn rave reviews from Jim Knowles as a guy that is right in the mix with a lot of those other inside linebackers. He was running with the twos a lot. He had one one nice uh, blitz in particular where he he really kind of blew up Mayan Williams coming straight up straight down the middle there, which was nice. I mean, he looks like a guy that that could make plays at, at linebacker, you know, straight away. Um, even though there's there are a lot of names, but I, I think you know with what we're hearing from Jim Knowles, that could definitely be the case. Another another interesting uh, play was uh, Trevion Henderson picked up a uh, CJ Hicks in, in, in pass protection on one, one blitz from Hicks and Henderson really handled Hicks on that play. It was a sophomore to early enrollee moment almost. And Henderson kind of roughed him up a little bit. And Paris Johnson actually had to come over like to, to, to break something up in case it escalated a little bit, but it didn't escalate, but that was just a, a fun thing to see and something that we're not usually privy to since we don't get to watch the guys, you know, go full contact in, in our usual practice windows that we get to see. Also, uh, you know, tight end continues in an interesting position for the Buckeyes, of course, Cade Stover switching back there. But Joe Royer got, you know, a lot of targets, especially in seven on seven, made a lot of catches in that setting, had a couple as well in the 11 on 11. Bennett Christian as well got a, a touchdown grab with maybe the, the, the second or third stringers at, at a certain point. Evan Pryor as well, I thought, had a couple of really nice cuts. He had one uh, in particular when he caught a pass in seven on seven. And I think it was Reed uh, Carrico. He really juked him out of his socks. He had another carry in uh, red zone drills later on where I thought he made a nice cut as well. Those are just some other plays, Dan, that, that stood out to me and some guys that caught my eye with a couple of reps here and there. Yeah, and I noticed Pryor making some good pass blocks too, which I know is a big area where he needs to improve. I think it's one reason why he didn't play a lot last year. He acknowledged that when he met with the media earlier this spring. And so uh, he's a guy who's been, you know, they've been talking up as a guy who, you know, could play a bigger role this year. It was one of the questions we were actually asked this week by Undercover Buck about, you know, will we routinely see a free running back rotation in games this year? And I don't know. I feel like every year there's talk about, you know, they're going to expand the rotation this year. It could be situational roles for running backs. And it seems like it never quite comes to fruition. So I'm kind of aware I need to see it to believe it. I mean, I, I still certainly believe that Travion Henderson is going to get most of the work at running back this year but I am intrigued to see what kind of role Evan Pryor can earn in the running back rotation this year because I think you know Mayan Williams is probably still going to be that top backup but I think Evan Pryor brings a intriguing skill set as you mentioned a guy who you know has some great quickness can make some cuts a guy who, you know, I think also can be a receiving weapon out of a backfield. And so I'm interested to see what kind of role Pryor will have. I, I don't really feel confident, like making a prediction of how big Evan Pryor's role will be, but I do think that there's some momentum there for him to play a more significant role than we saw him play last year. Tussie asked us after reading your article, Dan, it seemed like, you know, there was a lot of offense and D line in that list, obviously a bunch of wide receivers as well. 
And, and, the, and if you're listening right now, you're probably wondering, man, you, you guys haven't really talked about a lot of defensive backs very much, which isn't uh, probably not, you know, a, a welcoming sign from that uh, scrimmage for the, you know, the, the student appreciation day practice. But did any defensive backs stand out to you, Dan, or linebackers as well? That's what Tussie was wanting to know about. I thought Ronnie Hickman had a couple of nice, I thought, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard with, you know, if you're going thud or you're not going contact with the, the potential impact that a linebacker could make, you know, if they were going full, you know, full contact for longer. So maybe some guys didn't stand out in that capacity for that reason at the linebacker spot, perhaps. But yeah, any other DBs that you thought, Dan, deserve a shout out from the from what we got to see on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it was interesting to see Ronnie Hickman playing, you know, that free safety role that, you know, he seems to be being groomed for. You know, he was a guy who played so well at the bullet, which is now the bandit this year. I think you could just call it a strong safety, but it seems like he's being groomed to play that free safety role this year that maybe people thought, you know, Josh Proctor was going to be the guy to play and maybe Josh Proctor's going to end up playing that bandit role. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that develops, but you know, you can tell that, you know, Ronnie Hickman's a guy that they have a lot of trust in and that they want to play a major role on the back end of the defense. And, you know, you could see that uh, certainly on Saturday, you know, I thought Denzel Burke made a couple of nice plays as well. You know, I did think the wide receivers won the day on Saturday but even so, I didn't come away from Saturday thinking, oh, man, the secondary looks awful. Because a lot of those plays we talked about from the receivers were receivers making great plays when the DB was in pretty good position. So, you know, I don't know. You know, I think the receivers certainly look to be ahead of the defensive backs. But I think a lot of that just has to do with, you know, Ohio State having really good wide receivers and really good quarterbacks. And so they're going to make plays. And so I didn't come away from it feeling, oh man, like the secondary looks awful. Like I, I didn't come away from that at all. I just thought that, you know, there were a lot of good plays made by the quarterbacks and receivers. I think, you know, probably one other guy that, you know, caught my eye would be Jordan Hancock because Cam Brown's only been a limited participant this spring, you know, after, you know, dealing with some injuries last year. So Hancock was taking the first team reps opposite Denzel Burke. And I thought he made some nice plays. I thought, you know, he looked like uh, he could hold up pretty well in coverage. So he's a guy that, you know, seems to have a lot of momentum right now to where, you know, I think right now Jordan Hancock is in line to be that number three corner and that first corner off the bench. And so, you know, I think, you know, his trajectory continues to move upward. Like you said, with the linebackers, it's kind of hard to evaluate linebackers in this setting, not only because like you said, it's not full contact tackling, but also because they were rotating a lot at linebacker, you know, at some positions you could kind of get a stronger feel of, okay, these are the first team guys. These are the second team guys. I mean, at linebacker, I mean, they were rotating through a lot of different guys. I mean, I, it does seem like steel chambers and Tommy Eichenberg are in line to be the starters right now, but you know, Taraja Mitchell, Chip Trainum were getting reps in there for first team. Even CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers worked in there with the first team. And you know, I think you know, one guy, another guy that does seem to have some real momentum on his side right now is Reed Carrico because you know he's a guy they've been working at that Sam role when they have a more traditional free linebacker package out there. We saw that when they were doing red zone work. And I don't know how much they're going to use that look. I mean, they're probably going to use it a lot more against Wisconsin than they might use it against uh yeah i don't even know the best example maryland or something i mean it's probably going to depend a lot on week to week but he seems like he's positioned himself to be that first team sam linebacker when they use that package and he's a guy who really didn't play at all last year and so uh, i think that's a very encouraging sign for reed carico that he's put himself in a position where they trust him to play a, a significant role even if it's only as a situational sub-package player. Minbuck wanted to know, what did you guys learn about the new coaches from seeing them at the scrimmage? And I got to tell you, I mean, with everything going on in the field, I, I wasn't keyed in necessarily on all the, the new coaches specifically. But, I mean, before, I mean, just in coaches in general, it was interesting, you know, seeing Day kind of choose some guys out. We got to see Justin Fry and Day interact a little bit there because they were both, you know, standing back obviously behind the the huddle on offense, they seem to have a good chemistry, kind of just exchange a look. Sometimes you could, you, maybe you could tell that they had worked together in the past, but beyond that, I, I don't know if I 
necessarily was keyed in so much on that end. I don't know if you might have been. No, I really wasn't. I mean, honestly, I just don't really, when both settings, I, I don't really spend a whole lot of time like watching the coaches and their mannerisms. I tend to be more focused on their players. And so, yeah, sorry, we don't have a better answer for you, but I, I just honestly really wasn't paying attention to that. Yeah. Dan, any other thoughts on what we saw uh, at a student appreciation day? Any other takeaways you had that we haven't addressed uh, already? No, I think we've talked enough about that. I think we should move on to talking a little bit about some of the other football news that came out this week, because in a span of hours on Monday, Ohio State lost two defensive backs to the transfer portal. I don't usually see that too often where you know, two players enter the transfer portal in one day, but both legend Cavazos and Bryson Shaw entered the transfer portal on Monday. And some of that has to do with some of the stuff we, we were just talking about with the DBs on what we saw Saturday. You know, why is legend Cavazos in the transfer portal? Because Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson are emerging at corner and legend Cavazos would probably be the number five cornerback on the depth chart right now. So for a guy going into his third year at Ohio state, you know, he wants to play, you know, he doesn't want to wait his turn anymore. And so I think that's why he's in the transfer portal. And then Bryson Shaw, he was the starting free safety last year, but as you talked about, it looks like Ronnie Hickman is probably going to be moving into that role this year. Obviously Josh Proctor's back from injury. He's another guy who could play that role this year and so it is interesting because Bryson Shaw was getting first team reps on Saturday because Josh Proctor and Court Williams were both only practicing in a limited capacity so both of those guys were kind of standing back taking mental reps and Shaw was actually the other first team safety along with Ronnie Hickman and Tanner McAllister and so it's a little surprising to me to see Bryson Shaw enter the transfer portal right now that said i'm not shocked that this happened eventually i did think it was a possibility because of the fact that this is a guy who's going into his fourth year at ohio state he was a starter last year and he probably wasn't going to be a starter this year we kind of talked about it a little bit the other day because jim knowles was talking about the safeties and and the fact that Ohio State really would like Proctor to get healthy and get back out there because he's what they want and what they need at safety. And like we mentioned before, I believe, we didn't hear any mention of Bryson Shaw from Jim Knowles, which was kind of interesting, perhaps telling, because he was a starter last year, obviously once Proctor went down. And, you know, even with him him taking first-team reps out there, the fact that he was even in, you know, that that conversation but not really getting mentioned at all by Jim Knowles when he was discussing standout safeties for the Buckeyes, especially because he's previously said that it's a very safety-driven defense. So you would think, you know, a returning starter might, you know, get a little more mention there. I know a lot of, you know, a lot of fans, let's be honest, and a lot of fans are, are probably maybe pleased to see Bryson Shaw in the transfer portal because, you know, he got a lot of flack last season for some plays. You know, he was put in a position where he wasn't going to be the starter coming into the season. He, uh, you know, c- comes in for Proctor and, and ends up playing a lot of snaps for that Buckeye secondary, but he will not be playing any, Dan, moving forward, and neither will Legend Cavazos, who, all, who Jim Knowles was saying the other day was taking reps at, at that nickel spot, too, which I think kind of just indicates that they didn't really have a good fit for him or a, or a role where he could get a lot of time. And I, I think, Dan, it's the best move for both guys, certainly, when you're thinking about, you know, them individually and the roles they could have on a team. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Ohio State fans should be celebrating Bryson Shaw leaving the football team. I mean, I think you're losing a guy who, again, he started 12 games last year. So you're losing a guy that got some experience who I do believe improved over the course of last season. You, I think it is a hit to your experience and your depth to, to lose both of these guys because they are, you know, veteran guys who have, you know, seen some playing time. And so it it does, your depth is a little shorter now at both positions, both, you know, at cornerback and at, you know, those deep safety positions, you know, free safety, strong safety, we're still kind of getting a feel, you know, for who's going to be at what positions. And so, you know, I think you'd like to still have these guys on the depth chart if you're Ohio state, 
that said, I don't disagree with you that for both of those guys, this is probably the best move right now because I don't think I don't think either of them were in a position where, you know, we saw Shaw play a lot last year, but I don't necessarily know that, you know, he was in a position where he was likely to be, you know, the starter again this year, even next year. And I think, you know, Cavazos, I think he had been passed up by younger corners to the point where, you know, he was probably not going to have a great opportunity to be a future starter at Ohio state. And so I do think that it makes sense for both of these guys to, make this move you know and i also think you know again as we've said before we'll probably say it again transfers were always going to happen there's going to be more ohio state's still three over the 85 man scholarship limit so there's going to be more transfers and so i'm sure there's people out there who see two transfers in one night and go what's going on you know culture problem this is part of modern college football so it doesn't don't don't take it as an indicator of oh my god you know what's going on in our db room two guys left in in one day it's not bad i think what it does say though is that there are other guys at both of those positions corner and safety that are coming along to where they're taking the playing time they're taking the reps that might've gone to Cavazos and Shaw. So I think that's the positive outlook on it of losing those guys is, you know, the reason why they're transferring is because other players have jumped them on the depth chart. And so I think that is a, a sign that, you know, especially when you look at a guy like Bryce and Shaw, who was the starting free safety last year, if he's gone from being a starting free safety to a guy who feels like he has to transfer to play, that just tells you that, there's more talent at safety going into this season. There's other guys who they didn't have last year or weren't ready to play last year who are now ready to play bigger roles. And so I think, you know, that's the positive outlook of it. It just does hurt your depth a bit at both positions, but you know, that was going to be inevitable. These things are going to happen. There's going to be more guys who make similar decisions here over the course of the next month before May 1. And again, not going to say any specific names because I don't even know the specific names, but I'm confident there will be other guys who, who are in similar positions to, to Cavazos and Shaw over the next month that are going to say, I need to go somewhere else to have a chance to be a starter. And we will see more guys enter the transfer portal. Dan, let's get to some more listener questions here, you know, on the football side of things. Oh, pretty Ricky asks us, do you see Devin Brown making a push for QB two, or do you feel like McCord has that locked up? I'm just going to say, I mean, like you already alluded to, that's, that's definitely going to be a a conversation pretty soon here. I mean, after the season, of course, in terms of the post CJ Stroud era, I don't, I mean, and he showed some, like you said, some arm talent, you know, some poise, in in uh, on, on Saturday, but I mean, I just don't see him right now really jumping McCord for that spot, given the fact that McCord just has a year over him. I would imagine that McCord would probably get the the cube to uh, title for the entire season. I would imagine. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think again, what we saw from Devin Brown on Saturday was impressive, and I think you know that we've been asked before how are the guys looking. Well, I think now we can say, hey. We've seen Devin Brown throw. He's throwing the ball really well. He is, you know, showing something that I would think is impressing the Ohio State coaches, and I think we'll give him a chance to compete for that job next year. But I I do agree. I think Kyle McCord is still firmly in position to be the number two quarterback. I think they're going to mix Devin Brown in for those second-team reps just because they want to get him more reps because he might – be the starter next year so when you're talking about spring preseason camp those are the times to really get Devin Brown those reps because once you get into the season not as many reps to go around Devin might not get as many reps you know in the fall as he can right now so they're going to make sure that he gets you know his share of reps now in terms of his development but yeah I think Kyle McCord is going to be the number two quarterback this year and you know and I I think you know, I think there's a section of the fan base that's 
down on Kyle McCord because they don't think he he played that well last year. And so I think there's a certain you know segment of a fan base that you know wants to see Devin Brown you know pass Kyle McCord on the depth chart this year. I don't. I really don't think that's how anyone should feel. I think you know Kyle McCord for a true freshman. I thought he played pretty well last year and I think some growing pains were to be expected and I think you know he is continuing to make progress I think you know he he will probably be better this year now that he has a, a year of experience under his belt and so you know again I think the real competition between those guys is going to play out a year from now but you know I, I think Kyle McCord you know right now is the number two quarterback but you know they're still going to find opportunities for Devin Brown to play this year too, because again, I don't think you want to be in a position going into next year, like you were a year ago where your guys who are competing for the starting quarterback job have never thrown a pass before. So obviously we've already seen Kyle McCord do that, but I'm sure that they're going to find opportunities for Devin Brown to play this fall as well, to get him some experience before that competition next spring. Back on the wide receiver side of things, one name we did not talk about when discussing those standout wideouts was Julian Fleming, Dan, and Floyd Stahl asks, will Emeka Buka or Fleming emerge as that third starting wideout? And yeah, I mean, that's a great question because, you know, Julian Fleming has been in the program, you know, a, a year longer, and we still aren't quite seeing him flash maybe in these windows that we've seen as much as some of these younger guys right now which I think is why people are asking that question. But I think, I, I honestly think it'll, it might fluctuate. You know, it might be a, a situation where you see both of those guys start games this year. I think if the season started right now, I think Julian Fleming would probably be the third starting wideout. I think my opinion on be right now is, I, I think there's a very good chance that by the middle of a season or the end of a season, Emeka Buka is going to be a starting wide receiver for Ohio state. And, you know, I know that, you know, I probably sound like a Julian Fleming hater, I think, but it's just, the reality is I've been really impressed by him. Buka. I've been really impressed by Marvin Harrison jr. We have to see it from Julian Fleming. I just haven't seen it yet. I don't doubt that he has the potential to be a star receiver, but we haven't seen it on the field yet. And so until we see it on the field, I mean, just based on what we've seen on the field to this point, adding Saturday now into that equation, I've just been more impressed by what I've seen from Emeka Buka than from what I've seen from Julian Fleming. And so to me right now, you know, I, I, we, you know, we were asked too about, you know, who's, you know, who's going to be, you know, next in line for receiving yards. I mean, right now I would pick Emeka Buka to have the bigger year than Julian Fleming that, you know, that would just be my honest opinion on it right now. Again, I, we don't see everything that happens in practice. So Julian Fleming may look great in, in practices that we've haven't seen. I'm not doubting that he, he has it. I know that other people have said before, but he's played really well in practice. It's just, unfortunately, we just really haven't seen it yet in settings that have been available to the public. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the spring game uh, a week and a half from now, you know, if he has a big game in the spring game, you know, that, that might get some momentum back on his side, but you know, right now, like right now, if I was going to predict like receivers in terms of production, Jackson Smith and Jigba is obviously number one. I'd put Marvin Harrison jr. Two, I'd put a Mecca Buka three and I'd put Julian Fleming four. that would be my prediction. I can't disagree with anything you said there, Dan. We already kind of touched on another question here from Undercover Buck, which was the uh, the three running back rotation question. I certainly think we'll we'll see more Evan Pryor this season, but in terms of will Pryor catch up to to, to Mayan Williams in terms of them being mano a mano behind Henderson, I'm not totally sold on that necessarily. Just because, I mean, think about it. Mayan Williams was you know even made plays in, in, a couple of plays in that 2020 postseason. You know, now going into 2022 for him. I think he's a guy that can make a lot of plays. He, he dealt with some injury issues, some health issues this past season. I, I think he's probably, you know, firmly at that number two. I mean, Evan Pryor, Dan, physically, he still just looks a, a little, he just, he's not as big as the other two guys. I mean, frankly, and um, you know, you can use him in, in different ways and everything like that. But I just think 
physically, that is kind of my, my impression when I look at those guys. Mayan's a big guy. Like, like I was just watching, I think it was like kickoff return drills and he's out there on the kickoff team. And he just looks like a big dude running yep. down the field at full speed. So yeah, definitely some different body types there. But I think, again, that's kind of why you wonder, can Ohio State use these guys in different scenarios to play each of them to their strengths? Because I think they do have, all three of them have different skill sets. And I would like to see that where, you know, they play the guys a little bit more to their strength. I feel like, you know, there's been a consistent tendency where, you know, they kind of just rotate guys, you know, one guy plays a series, one guy plays a series. You know, I think between Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor, they all do have different strengths and you should try to play each of them to their strengths. Right, right. Dan, best road trip this season from Ohio against the world, Michigan State, Penn State, Northwestern, or Maryland. Is that like a question for us as the traveler? Yeah, well, he was asked. It was a very long question, so I paraphrased it. The question was basically, other than Northwestern, he hasn't been to those other schools yet. And so it was more of a question of which game should I go to this year in terms of the road game. And he made the argument that you know Penn State would be the obvious choice but he was leaning toward Michigan State because it's earlier in the year so the weather will probably be better it could potentially be two unbeaten teams at that point I think either of those two are valid choices you know to me if I was a fan going on a road trip definitely picking one of those two I think you know unless if you want to you know make it a weekend trip to DC and go to the Maryland game in the middle of it. Sure. If you want to make it a weekend trip to Chicago and go to the Northwestern game in the middle of it. Sure. I'm not going to either of those two just to go to the game. Like to me, you know, if if I lived near there or if I just wanted to go to that area, then it might be worth going. I, I, to me, if I was a fan, I'm not, you know, traveling there just to go see one of those games, you know, Penn state's kind of the opposite, like Penn state, there's not a whole lot to do around there besides go to a football game. And so, you know, Penn state's probably the one I'd pick in terms of, if you want to just see the best road environment, because it is one of the best environments out there in, in college football, but you know, you're really, you're going for the game. There's not a whole lot else out there. And, you know, I would say the one other drawback too. I mean, I booked our hotel for Penn state a couple months ago, and I think we're staying like an hour away from State College. So you got to factor that in too. If you're going to travel to the Penn State game, you're probably going to have a hard time getting a hotel close to the stadium unless you uh, have deep pockets and want to spend a lot of money. And so you got to factor that in if you're going to Penn State. So you know, to me, if I was just going just based on the environment of a stadium, I would pick Penn State, but I think Michigan State if you're just looking for a, a good game to go to, I think that would be a good choice. I've actually, I've only been to Northwestern of those four, because of course in 2020 with, you know, there being limited uh, media and stuff like that, I didn't get to go to, you know, that cycle of, you know, games that would be typically away games for Ohio state. So I kind of got the double dip this year, next year though, I'll get to cross some of those hopefully off of my, my list there. Dan, let's get into some basketball talk because there's been plenty of newsworthy stuff in that realm as well over here in the last few days. Obviously, the season has come to an end, which means that, you know, guys are starting to make NBA draft decisions. Guys are entering the transfer portal. It was a little bit quiet at the the start of the offseason for Ohio State for a few days there. EJ Liddell, you know, opted to go to the NBA, which was no surprise there. We were expecting that. Malachi Branham as well, Dan, that's, you know, the big one there we were wondering. Everyone was wondering. What would he do? It seemed likely that he would, you know, at least test the process. He is, in fact, going to test the process. However, it just, it, it, at least to me, it does not seem, you know, all that likely that this is going to be one of those situations where he just tests it and comes back because he's widely projected and, you know, as a top 15, 16, you know, pick right now in the first round of the draft. Yeah, he told ESPN, if I find the exact quote that he said, he told ESPN, he said, I am staying in the draft if I'm in the first round because I believe if someone gives me four years to prove myself, I have no doubt that they will love what they're getting. 
every mock draft I've seen has Malachi Branham as a first round pick. And so I think if his decision is based on if I'm going to be a first round pick, I'm going to stay in the draft, then I think he'll be staying in the draft, you know, unless, you know, he gets feedback that's very different than what the media projections are. I I believe Malachi Branham has played his last basketball at Ohio state. I think that he will, you know, go pro next year and, you know, don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. If he is in fact going to be a first round pick, you know, go get paid, go get your money. I don't blame him uh, one bit. I mean, a lot of the mocks have him as a top 20 pick. And so to go and, and bet on himself right now and, you know, go, go pro right now when teams are talking about you as a first round pick, you know, I do think that, you know, he could come back and if he had a really big year, he could probably be, you know, a surefire lottery pick, but there's no guarantee of that. I mean, your stock could, fall if you come back you don't know that it all depends on how well you play and I think his stock is high enough now to where it's okay how much would he really have to gain if he came back for another year and so I think he probably is done at Ohio State and I think that's a tough blow for Ohio State especially when you're also losing EJ Liddell you're now losing your two best players from last season and that's a lot of scoring production. I mean, really the only two guys who were consistent scorers for you last year, but you now have to uh, replace. And so that's a tough loss, but I do think it helps fill at least some of that void. The news that came on Saturday that Wright state transfer Tanner Holden is going to be uh, transferring to Ohio state. And, you know, some people I think maybe see that and go, Oh man, you know, we've gotten a few of these other mid-major guys in the last few years and they haven't really done a whole lot, but I, I think Tanner Holden, I, I, I really like this move for Ohio state. This is a guy who averaged 20.1 points per game last season, including 37 points in their first four games. You know, he's an Ohio guy who grew up as an Ohio state fan. He's got the kind of body type that, you know, you need to play in the big 10. He's, you know, a six foot five guard, a guy who's athletic enough, but he was actually recruited a little bit by Ohio state. He didn't have an offer from Ohio state to play football, but he was recruited as a wide receiver. He had uh, that kind of athleticism. So, you know, this is a guy that, you know, do I think he's going to score 20 points per game in the big 10? Probably not. Do I think his game can translate? to Ohio state. I think it can. And I think especially with losing Malachi Branham, I think, you know, this is exactly the kind of guy they needed to bring in to replace some of Branham scoring production on the wing. Yeah. And I, I had a friend that asked me right after the news happened, you know, what's the difference between a guy like Tanner Holden and a guy like Cedric Russell, who also averaged, you know, like 17 points a game for Louisiana in the Sun Belt in another, you know, mid-major shooting guard transfer that people thought, you know, because that was a guy that came over after Dwayne Washington in almost a similar situation here where you're talking about having to replace, you know, a, a primary scoring option. The, the problem with Cedric Russell, though, all season, he's a guy, he's listed at six foot two, never had the frame or the length that was going to be a, a surefire, you know, translation into the Big Ten with how physical guys are in that league. And we saw his scoring ability from time to time, Cedric Russell, that is, and he made a big impact in several big games for Ohio State. But I think the difference is Tanner Holden's a guy 6'6", you know, 185. He's a guy, he's, he's long and rangy. His, his frame makes sense in that wing position. And I think, you know, that combined with the fact that he's not just a scorer, he's pulling down, you know, seven rebounds a game, like close to one and a half steals per game as well. And so, you know, his body type is going to allow him to be on the court more, I think, on both sides of the floor, translating to the Big Ten game. And yeah, I think it's hard to say, you know, how much it should, his commitment should soften the blow of the Branham news. Cause it's hard to say that a guy from Wright state's going to come over and, and make, you know, a, a BB, a top option on offense or something like that for Ohio state. But if you look around and, and, you know, we still don't know for sure on, on, on justice Sewing's status, you know, who would be the top option for that Ohio state team coming back. If you think about it, if you're losing Liddell and Branham, so, you know, maybe he has as good a chance as anybody else. We shall, we definitely will have to wait and see on that because I think that the Russell situation kind of, will temper some expectations just because of, of what I just talked about, but definitely a, a very good first step for Chris Holman and company in the portal, but probably, you know, not their last foray into the portal here this offseason. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to be skeptical of this because Chris Holtman's previous transfer additions haven't been great. I mean, at least in terms of their production, they haven't gotten a ton out of those guys, but I think Tanner Holden might be the best player that, 
Chris Holtman has gotten as a transfer so far. I mean, we'll see. I mean, again, he's got to see how it translates to Ohio State, but I think he might be the best player. I mean, probably either him or, or Justice Suing, and we haven't really seen, you know, full Justice Suing yet because of what happened last year. And so, you know, I think to me, I think this is a really good move. Like you said, probably not done. I mean, right now, if you assume Branham's gone right now, they do sit on the number at 13 scholarship players. Justin Arns entered the transfer portal on Monday. Another one, you know, kind of like we talked about before with, you know, I think this is probably a move that's best for both parties, really, in, in this instance. You know, you know, Justin Arns, I think, you know, he, he did not have a great senior year for Ohio State. I think he can go. I mean, he could go to a right state or he could go to a, a Dayton or wherever. I think he can go somewhere else. And I think he can he, he could certainly play and make an impact for another team. I, I think for Ohio State and the situation it's in right now, I think, quite frankly, opening up the roster spot here is probably in Ohio State's best interest rather than bringing back Justin Arns for another year. But uh, they're still going to need more spots to open up if they're going to bring in more transfers. I know you said before that you think, you know, it's probably likely that Harrison Hookfin will, will move on. So, you know, that probably opens up uh, one spot, but it, it might only be, you know, one more spot that opens up. We'll see what happens. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, Justin R. I think, you know, you could probably see this move coming here a little bit for him, kind of a, a disappointing senior season from Arns, obviously wasn't hitting the threes at the end of the season in the way that Ohio State probably would have liked to see him be able to do, which I think is the reason now that when you look at what else Ohio State could do in the transfer portal, because you bring in Tanner Holden, he, he's really a wing, you know, two guard, but he's really a wing at six, six. He's not a guy at point guard necessarily. So you're still losing Jamari Wheeler, Jimmy Sotos, you know, Cedric Russell, a guy you can, you know, a little bit uh, throw at that, at that one spot as well. You've got Michi Johnson, not a pure point guard. We've talked about this before. You bring in Bruce Thornton, but that still kind of leaves room for, you know, a veteran point guard, you know, that can kind of help show Thornton the ropes. And I think a guy, especially with losing arms, a really interesting transfer portal prospect is uh, Nigel Pack from Kansas uh, State, who can really fill it up. I think he shoots like 43% from three, and he shoots a lot of threes, at least last season he did. And uh, like a, a pure shooting po veteran point guard that can score, which we, you know, haven't seen necessary Chris Holman likes to get these you know veteran point guards that are you know defensively savvy and everything like that if they can get a, a pure shooting point guard like a Nigel Pack from Kansas State I mean that would be huge for Ohio State and I don't know exactly where they they fit in his you know kind of transfer recruitment here but I know they've obviously made contact and everything like that another really interesting prospect as well when you're looking at the, the other side of the spectrum there with a, a big man is a guy that's been you know getting a, a ton of attention from high profile programs which might make him kind of a long shot for the Buckeyes, but a Janai Broom from Moorhead State, a guy 6'10", averaged 16 and 10 last year, like almost four blocks per game. He was the defensive player of the year in the NBC. And that's a guy, I think he's in the, he's, he's going to be testing the NBA draft process as well. But I mean, that's a guy that, that seems like a, a very legit, you know, one of the top transfer prospects in the country, even though he's coming from obviously a, a mid-major situation there. But those are just a couple of other interesting transfer portal prospects, but I'm sure there'll be plenty more news as far as you know who Ohio State is reaching out to and who they're they're targeting here in the coming weeks. I think my question is let's assume they'll only have one more spot open up. What's more important? Getting another player in the front court or getting another point guard? I don't I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the answer to that question. I think certainly they could, you know, for all the reasons you said, I think they absolutely could use another point guard, but you're you know you're also losing EJ Liddell and Kyle Young in in the front court and so you know we've seen him reach out to some guys a guy like Jalen Bridges who visited last week for West Virginia transfer forward I think somebody like that could really help Ohio State as well and so I think that becomes the interesting equation it's not just who they might be able to get but it's also okay who should get like who should the top guy on the board B, you know, if, you know, maybe you have a second spot open up, but, you know, maybe you only have one more spot to bring in a transfer. I think they could use, 
both a point guard and a, you know, power forward type player, but you might not have spots to bring in both those guys. Right. And I think it depends at that point on what you kind of envision out of that freshman class. Again, like we've said that, I think that that will go a long way in determining the success of Ohio state season next year is just how game ready are some of those prospects for the Buckeyes. Do you really believe in, in the ability of a Felix Akpara to come in and be a, a real player for you right away? Do you believe that the Bruce Thornton is going to come in and be that true floor general and log a whole lot of minutes for the Buckeyes? And maybe that's what helps a Chris Holman decide which direction to go in. You know, if you only have one more spot to fill there. Ohio state also made a coaching hire over the weekend, Jack Owens, who was the former head coach at Miami of Ohio, he will be coming in and taking one of the two open spots on Ohio state's coaching staff. I'll be honest, everything that's been going on in the last few days, I haven't really uh, looked into that hire at all. Do you have any uh, initial thoughts on what Jack Owens could bring to the staff? Well, he was on the Purdue staff for nine years before uh, going to Miami to be the head coach there for the Red Hawks for the last, uh, what was it, four, four or five years, something like that. So, I mean, Big Ten experience, a ton of Big Ten experience already. You know, obviously he's been coaching in Ohio. So, you know, those things kind of both blend to make a lot of sense for this hire. He also led Miami to their first winning season. And I want to say maybe nine years, nine or 12 years, something like that. So that's kind of impressive as well, even though if you look at his like year by year record, it's not super impressive at Miami, but he did have one winning season and that was the first they had had in a very long time. So, yeah, and, and you know, the word on that is that he will be replacing Tony skins position there. They're kind of, you know, moving things, switching things around with which assistants are going to be, you know, playing which role there, because of course, Jake Diebler is going to be promoted into Ryan Peden's position. And then also Mike Nettie, a special assistant to Chris Holman, who's been working with him on and off for 10 years, where you're hearing, you know, rumblings that he will, he's likely to be promoted into that third assistant coaching role for the Buckeyes as well, which makes a lot of sense because he's, like we said, I mean, he was on a Holman's web staff back in the day, 10 years ago, a guy that's been with Holman for a very long time. So to see him get kind of a promoted in-house definitely makes a lot of sense as well. Yeah, I mean, Holtman's been talking about Mike Nettie as a guy who, you know, he thinks he'll be a future head coach someday. And so you had to figure at some point, you know, he's going to get that promotion up to, you know, the main coaching staff. I think my one question would be, you know, if Jack Owens is replacing Tony Skin, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, lo- you know, losing a couple guys, you know, opening up that defensive coordinator role. Could they bring in somebody to really kind of, improve things on the defensive end for the Ohio staff, you know, bringing in an outside voice to bring some new defensive concepts to Ohio state. Is that something that would help the Buckeyes? And it doesn't really seem like they're doing that here. So I think that would be my one, you know, point of skepticism on this is, you know, I kind of thought, you know, maybe you try to bring someone in who can, you know, bring some new defensive philosophies to the table. And, you know, if you're filling that position with an in-house promotion, you know, again, Nothing against Mike Nettie whatsoever. I don't want it to come across that way. It's more of a question of, you know, it's kind of like a couple, it's kind of like a couple of years ago when people were like, why are we promoting Parker Fleming instead of bringing in another defensive coach? And it was nothing against Parker Fleming. I think Parker Fleming is doing a really good job on special teams coordinator for Ohio State football. And that's why he's still there. But you could still look back and say, maybe they should have used that spot. Uh, to bring in another defensive coach. I think that would be my question here. Of, I think m- promoting Mike Nettie makes sense. I just question a little bit whether right now is the best time for an in-house promotion rather than maybe trying to bring in somebody, you know, who could, you know, bring some new defensive philosophies to Ohio State basketball. But I could also see the argument of, when you're losing two coaches, you're already bringing in one new coach. You want to maintain some stability and promoting Mike Nettie does that. And what about this news? Thad Mata is going to be back on the sideline coaching basketball as a head coach, going back to his alma mater at Butler, where, you know, he was a head coach back in, I think, 2000, 2001. He led that team to the NCAA tournament. He's going to be back five years after his last season at Ohio State. And it's, it's just funny how things work. You know, he's going to now, Chris Holtman's old post, of course, after Chris Holtman replaced him back in 2017, 
what do you make of that news? Yeah, uh, I was I wasn't expecting it. It definitely when I saw it, I was like, wow, I was I wasn't expecting that. But you know, certainly good for Fad. Good that Fad is you know obviously a, a big reason why he stepped away from coaching was because of his health. You know, the botched back surgery he had and the complications from that. So it's great for Fad that you know he's feeling you know well enough now that he's able to you know come back and, and coach. And I know a lot of his. Uh, former players at Ohio State are really happy for him and being back. And so, you know, that's cool to see. You know, I think the question now becomes, you know, we did see, you know, I, I know there are a lot of people out there after the hire, oh, we should trade coaches. You know, I'd rather have, if, if Fad's coaching now, I'd rather have him back at Ohio State. You know, we shouldn't forget, you know, the last couple of years of Fad's tenure at Ohio State were pretty rough there, you know, because he wasn't recruiting at the same level that he had in the past. And so I think that's the question is, you know, you know, because of, you know, some of the issues he's had with his health, you know, can he get back to really coaching at recruiting at that same level as he did during his prime at Ohio State? But if he does, uh, then this could be a home run hire for Butler. So I like the hire for Butler. I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, you're trying to make a splash in a competitive Big East. I think this certainly does that. And so I think uh, it makes a lot of sense for Butler. And certainly, you know, I think it's great to see Fad back in the game. You know, I don't, you know, I think the people who are saying that they, they trade Holtman for Mata right now, I don't know about that. I do think, though, Fad's success at Butler will certainly be compared to Chris Holtman's success at Ohio State next season. And I also think that it would be a lot of fun if the organizers of the Gavit games were to make an Ohio State Butler matchup happen in that annual Big Ten versus Big East showcase. Oh, that would be very fun. Very fun indeed. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the, the Butler program right now, I mean, it certainly has room to improve because they've only made one NCAA tournament appearance since Chris Holman departed from the program. And that was the, the very first year he was gone, you know, missed it now for the last several years in a row. So can Thad Mata make a splash? Will certainly be something that, I'm sure a lot of Buckeye fans will be rooting for, you know, for that modest success over there. Even if, like you mentioned, there are some bitter fans right now, you know, riding the, the fire Holtman train that, uh, that have been, you know, s- talking about the, the possibility of, you know, why couldn't have Thad come back to Ohio State, yada. but, you know, it's fun to see anyway. And hopefully those teams will cross paths again down the line. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of real pod Wednesdays. We'll be back next week to, Uh, talk about whatever other news might break over the next week, whatever else we've learned from another week of spring football and preview the spring game that will be coming up next week. So thanks for joining us. Hope you'll join us again next week.